Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello. I am so excited that it's going to be difficult for me to get through this intro, just because I'm so ready to talk about college football games that are actually happening. Because guess what, college football is happening. I will be in Neyland in less than seven hours watching real full capacity college football. I'm I'm just I'm I'm so excited, Matt Green. And you know, Matt Green is on the other line because my fellow University of North Georgia alumni and good friend Matt Green is here because. It is Thursday, and we have games to preview. We will be doing the recap show on Sunday because there's going to be a lot of stuff that happens over the weekend. Honestly, there's going to be a lot of stuff that happens over the next five days because we have games Monday night. We have games Sunday night. We have games Saturday night. We have games Friday night. We have games tonight. We had a game last night. I know you were all in on the Bill Clark experience with UAB, um, the UAB Blazers, and the Jacksonville State also Gamecocks, I want to say. Um, Matt That's Green, correct. good afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon, sir. I am. Uh, I tried to give uh, UAB. You know, as as the podcast knows, I'm I'm a Georgia fan. That's a Georgia Week Two opponent. Tried to give it a, a few minutes. I was just like, ah, can't get into this. I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to catch back into college football tomorrow night. <laughs> I'm actually doing but some yeah, film they, study on that later they today. Just, they just spanked Jacksonville State, so it wasn't much of a game. So uh, I, I saw some some Twitter activity that said we we want Georgia. So. UAB, they're bringing it. Absolutely. I think Bill Clark's dad um, is close with Rush Probst. Did you know this? Rush Probst has got connections, man. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe it. I Have you watched Titletown yet? Oh, you know, I haven't. The The girlfriend and I breezed through it over the week. Delightful. How many, like, what, is it just one? Is it documentary? Or is it like a documentary, uh, eight episodes? Okay. Eight. Okay. But they're 20 minutes apiece. Um, Oh my goodness. It's everything I ever wanted. Her like the girlfriend's face when I like the way I would light up whenever Rush would do a do a pregame uh meeting, pregame talk to the team. Anytime that man speaks, I'm all ears. It's incredible, Matt Green. Incredible. Yeah, it's the most um, narcissistic personality I've ever seen in my entire life in college in, in high school, amateur, whatever sports. It's it's yeah. unreal. He's a character for sure. It makes sense now looking back that there was a a high school program that was on TV, the whole two a days thing back at Hoover. Like, what was that? Like two thousand five? Like that's that's way before any of these last chance use and everything. So it, it makes sense. This guy this guy's a character for sure. Absolutely. Well don't forget, folks, we do the college football show on the Chase Most Podcast every Sunday and Thursday during the college football season. So check out for that in your feed. If you are looking primarily for college football from myself and Matt Green, you can follow Matt Green at Matt underscore W underscore Green. Follow myself at Chase W underscore Thomas. Go read me. Wrote about Ben Simmons uh, last night. Um, so you can go read that at sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Just type in your email and you'll get an email every single day from yours truly. Uh, become a Patreon member at patreon.com slash chase Thomas Ryder. And if you like listening to Matt and myself talk college football twice a week during the college football season, please do re- leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and email us if you have any college football questions that you would like to, us to answer on one of our shows please feel free to do so at chase thomas podcast at gmail.com again that's chase thomas podcast at gmail.com uh matt green espn spoof 
Bishop Sycamore. It's been a couple of days now. Uh, the story still pretty pretty wild. I feel like we needed to quickly touch on this. What you were all in. What what did you glean from all of this, and what is your favorite aspect of it? Um, I feel like I don't even know what to make of it. Like, you know what I mean? It was just such a wild story. Like, obviously, anyone listening to this podcast has heard it by now. Bishop Sycamore, this this school that played IMG Academy. This it's like I don't even know what to call them. It's like it, at first it was like a fake school, right? It's mm-hmm. like a it's like a fraudulent like organization in some way. But it's like you're hearing more and more details come out. Like you know they they play the game on Friday, so they this team played two high school teams in three days, and the second one is filled with D1, Power Five, NFL prospects, like. Just an absurd, like, just safety issue from right off the jump, right? And then you got these guys, the graduated high school already that are that are coming back. And so you're just like, who who are the parents here Like that signed up for this? Like, this guy is just, I don't know, just running this huge scam. But then you hear that, like, no, it's, it is a real school. Like, it's actually an online school. And, like, this quarterback was a guy who missed his senior year last year because of COVID. And so it's like, he's just trying to like live out his dream. And so you're like, oh man, I, I feel bad now because these players, these, these players are just, they're, they're dudes, their kids are trying to get discovered, right. And continue their football career in some way. This head coach has already stepped down because obviously he's doing shady things. Like they, they still have this like national schedule. I think they Oh, I can't remember who it is. Duncanville or somebody. There's someone on their schedule from Texas in a week that's like big time powerhouse. Like they have no home games. So they're just going to be traveling Ohio and Maryland and Texas. They're just going to be like all over the map. So it's just an absurd story. And like, I think the craziest part is that, like that they were able to get a game televised on ESPN. Like it. it's obviously, I don't know how like the whole the inner workings of ESPN, the TV production business and everything. But what you would think as the worldwide leader in sports entertainment coverage, you would have your own department that, you know, knows who the high schools are. They're playing each other. You don't have to put that in an outside firm. Like that seems so strange to me. Like ESPN has their own high school recruiting rankings and everything. You would think they would have an entire branch of people that were, you know, setting up these marquee high school games but um it sounded like they were at least pushing the buck a little bit but um yeah just a wild story really i i just john skipper talked about it on libertard show this week where he was like the reason this kind of thing can happen is it's so far down the totem pole that it's just like not on the radar of so many different people that it just doesn't get uh viewed through the same lens and doesn't get the same amount of scrutiny uh, going into it so which part like the actor just being on tv yes and like what they are and it's like oh they just took it for face value um there was a really good piece in the athletic highlighting i think it was andy staples and ari wasserman who did the deep dive and figuring it out in the history and like them being an old school in ohio and um who books these games like there's someone whose job it is to book these big time games and nobody wants to play img academy which is part of the problem because they're that's just that's probably the biggest yeah advantage they had in getting and weaseling their way in there yes because no one wants them they're like we'll play them yeah nobody wants any piece of img academy right now um but yeah what a story what i would a story. just think like the first thing you do is like 
okay, they say they're a big time team. They're willing to play IMG. Let's go look at their 2020 record. And it mm. maybe you know maybe 2020 they didn't play games or something. There was a weird. Let's look at their 2019 record. It's like let's see if they have one verified prospect in our own high school rankings that we keep. Like oh no, they don't. Like this seems like it would have been a, like a two step process. They're like uh yeah maybe. Maybe don't put that game on TV. Like, kudos to them for getting IMG scheduled. Like, I, I guess, but like, I don't, I don't know how ESPN gets gets fooled like that. Um, yeah, really, really crazy. Week zero came and went. Matt Green, what did what did what did you learn? Well, I know a lot of people, maybe yourself included. I'll wait, wait, and see what you learned. Um, are going to make a lot of UCLA from week one, but I think the biggest. Uh, the biggest conclusion you got to draw from week one is just week zero. How, oh, sorry, sorry. Week zero. Mm. It's terrible too. Like you look at the, the scoreboard on ESPN.com, you know, it's like you can't even look at the scores for that week. It's like week zero. It's just gone. It's like it happened, but you, we have no recollection of it. But, um, but yeah, like the biggest conclusion I took from week zero is just Scott Frost, like, and how far away Nebraska still is. Like, you know, kudos to, to Brett Bielema and Illinois getting the win, but just, it's like, I don't know. I'm just like shocked at how bad Nebraska can continue to be. And, you know, Taylor Martinez, like I'll give him, uh, Adrian Martinez, I'll give him credit for, um, you know, the way he battled, but the, I feel like he's shown no progression as a quarterback. No, he was, he was, a, there was a lot of Jarrett Garantano energy in that game. Yeah, I I don't see. I think I've ever seen a Jared Garantano move like that. I mean, the fumble was awful at the end of the half. Um, he missed a lot of open dudes. Like that was the thing. Is like the notes, and if you go back and watch the film of it, dudes were open. Nebraska was getting co- uh, separation, and they were not taking advantage. And I mean, like the most frustrating thing about him, I'm sure, if you're a Nebraska fan, is that like that 75 yard touchdown run where he just breaks through and just it looks like, oh, right, this dude should be a superstar college quarterback, and it just doesn't happen, and their drives, like, there's no offensive identity. Like, they don't really know what they're doing. Um, Gabe Irvin, do you remember him? I think he came from Buford. He was the running back to start off, and they said he's from Buford, and I was like, where is he from? Um, I forgot to look that up. Gabe Irvin Jr., I don't know if that rings a bell for you, but... Oh, yeah, I think they have a couple players from Buford, actually. Interesting. Um, But, yeah, so I think part of it was Illinois is... Like, both offenses did not know what they were doing. Um, Illinois developed more of an identity as the game went on, and that was partly after Brandon Peters got knocked out. Art Zikowski, the former Rutgers quarterback. Exactly. At least yeah. the quarterback got hurt. Like, there's like a there's a reason for the lack of identity. Yeah, and unfortunately for him, like, that was that's rough for Peters. But, like, Zikowski fits more of what they want to do. Like, that dude completed 80% of his passes on Saturday. They ran the ball with six different guys in this game like they are going full on wisconsin football um the williams adjustment uh isaiah williams in the second half like that just reversal those bubble screens that he was doing um bielman made second half adjustments and nebraska wasn't prepared for it and illinois won the football game do i think illinois is going to be able to do that and play the way they did and win a lot of games in the big 10 no they don't have the horses like the way they're playing today or on saturday was because Nebraska is just a mess. Like that is well, why the most damning mm. part was Scott Frost. What was that that quote he had of like, yeah. Well, once we saw how they lined up on the first play, we basically had to throw out our entire <laughs> game plan. Like, I think he said half of our game plan. Yeah, like what? Like, yeah. 
you don't say that out loud, man. Like, are you, that's that's something you say when you're trying to get fired. Like, that's that was just like you just you're un, incapable of making adjustments based on you know one extra guy on the line of scrimmage. Like, that's a that was a, that was a bad look. Yes, absolutely. Um, one quick thing before we get into our, this week's game, Smack Green. Zeb Nolan. Out of nowhere, Trey Lance's best friend. You may know him from North Dakota State. You may know him from where he was before North Dakota State. That man was a graduate assistant just a few weeks ago at the University of South Carolina. Shane Beamer is going to have to turn to Mr. Nolan because Luke Doty is not ready to go this fall. What do you make of this insane story that South Carolina just turned a coach to their starting quarterback? This this is just unbelievable. Like I feel like the 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 Bishop Sycamore story <laughs> was unbelievable. I don't even know what to make of this. It's like South Carolina doesn't have you know two three scholarship level quarterbacks on the entire roster. Like as like it just imagine just coming into the season with any sort of expectations at all. And then you find out a grad assistant is going to be starting at quarterback. A grad assistant starting at any position, honestly. Like, if he was starting at strong safety, you're like, uh, what? Why is a grad? He's supposed to be a coach on this team, and he's going to be playing now. But to actually be quarterback, like the, you know, the most important position on the roster. Oh, man. South Carolina is in for you. Like, I'm... I don't even know what to make of like their what is it, Eastern Illinois is that who they open with? Like I, think so. I don't even know what to make of this game now. Like, is this guy capable of playing Division One football? Like, I really don't know. I mean, he was at Iowa State. I remember that disaster he had on a national broadcast right out of the gate because they kept talking about him from Watkinsville and um, his pedigree and all this stuff, and then he was just atrocious in Ames. And, and that was how many, what was that, like two, three years ago? At least, yeah. 2018 was the last the last year he played, so. Yeah. Man, man that's. He's, he's also wearing 25. Is he going to wear that on game day? Every practice picture I've seen of him, he's wearing 25. Oh, man, I didn't even think about that. That's like a, that's like a pet peeve of mine. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't. You're going to hate that. it. Oh man, it'll fit though. Honestly, but how out of place he is—he he had to be ranked number twenty-five. At least he's not like uh, got one of these kickers numbers, and he's twenty-five is absolutely a kicker number. Mike Nugent was Mike Nugent number twenty-five. I think so. That was a pulled that out of nowhere. Most <laughs> kickers, I feel like like ninety-three, you know, ninety-five. Like what number was Rodrigo? Uh, ninety-nine, right? Ninety-eight, ninety-nine. 98, that's right. You should know this, not me. Why are you putting it to me? Oh, man, Rodrigo. Don't get me started on Rodrigo. <laughs> oh, Mike Nugent was 85 at okay, uh, so Ohio State. Okay, that seems like the kickers are usually up there. Like, yeah, I, I thought he was 25. He's 85. Like, in, like, number two. It was like, who let the kicker get number two over here? Like, that's a prime number right there in, in college football. Yeah, 85. I was thinking 25. Um All right, Matt Green. We're going to take a quick break to hear a couple messages from our sponsors today, and then... We got games to pick. All right, we are back on the Chase the Most podcast, the Thursday edition of the show. 
So that means we are talking college football with my good friend and fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green, who you can follow on Twitter at Matt underscore W underscore Green. Matt, where are we going first? All right. Well, we have a finally a week one slate. We got a first time in the history of uh, college football. There's five top 25 matchups. Mm. So uh, that'll be and then there's also we got a great Thursday slate. So we're just going to start it off with the with the big one. This is game of the week. Georgia Clemson in Charlotte. Clemson opens as a three-point favorite, although I think they opened at like a four-and-a-half-point favorite. It might be down to like two-and-a-half, uh, according to a lot of people. But the spread we got at, got it at as a three. So what do you think about Clemson coming in as a three-point favorite? Lock it in. Clemson wins and covers. Lock it in. Uh, you're gonna, what, what, do you, what do you think? Where do you think Clemson get, has the advantage? I think they had a bit the advantage with what we're going to see with pressure with JT Daniels. Like I am so curious because he was not good under pressure last year. I am so curious to see what happens with this offensive line where JT, I don't know what kind of chemistry he has with these wideouts right now. Like Gilbert's gone. Pickens is gone. Um, he's going to be working in new guys. Like they're going to maybe try and run the football a bunch. I'm wondering what Todd Monken is going to kind of do to go against this Clemson front because the Clemson front is going to be vicious and it's going to be the most dominant front that Georgia plays in the regular season this year. I'm also wondering with Tyke Smith being out, like who who's going to be matched up with Amari Rogers? Like I don't know who that's going to be. I'm concerned about Georgia's secondary. I think they're going to get lit up a little bit in this game. DJ Ugalehi is going to take chances and I think they're going to go downfield and they're going to see what they can do on that front. Does Jordan Davis have a big game? Does he get through this Clemson offensive line, making it tough for them? It's possible. I'm also curious what Clemson tries to do with their game plan, because I don't think they're gonna be able to run the run up the middle on this Georgia defense. This defense is legit. It's probably the best defense in the SEC. However, they do have weak points and I'm curious to see how Will Shipley gets involved. Like that dude is going to be a superstar, probably Heisman candidate in two years or less in Death Valley. But He's going to be somebody I think DJ looks at um, out of the backfield. They're going to get him involved. I just, I believe in the continuity and the explosion and what we saw from DJ last year more than I believe in JT at this point in time on a neutral site, the questions in Georgia secondary. And I just, I don't know who's covering Amari Rogers, who is going to stop the explosive plays in this game does DJ get time? Does JT have enough time to find guys deep to do the stuff that he needs to do? I have my doubts. I just think the the advantage lies with Georgia or lies with Clemson rather. See, I think um, one thing you touched on. I think the interior of Clemson's offensive line sounds like the biggest weakness mm-hmm. on their team, and I think that also coincides with Georgia's maybe biggest strength. I think Georgia's defensive line is just going to be. You know, like this is going to be the best defensive line Georgia faces right. all year, but it's also going to be the best defensive line Clemson faces all year. And I think, for sure, you know, if if Georgia completely neutralizes the running game, like I think the secondary is without a doubt Georgia's strength. But I think when you know under Kirby Smart, it's just you know it's kind of like Dan Mullen with quarterbacks. It's like you just kind of tend to trust what Kirby's going to get out of the secondary as a unit. Like I mean that that 2017 team had. You know, there was no NFL players on that starting team. That team almost won a national championship in that secondary. There was no NFL players. So I, I kind of trust Kirby's ability just to kind of get the most out of the secondary. And I think if one of the teams is going to be able to do anything in the in running game, I think it's going to be Georgia. Like, I think there's questions on both teams' offensive lines, but, but Georgia is just loaded in the backfield. And 
Todd Monken's offense, I think, is what what many Georgia fans want to see. Like, I think, and I think a lot of people around the country don't realize necessarily how different Georgia's offense was because the production was just terrible. But like, they were scheming guys open and open in a lot of games last year and and using James Cook better than he's ever been used in his career. And I think it's just with how bad the quarterback play was last year, it just overshadowed everything. But one thing. I think it's interesting about this matchup that, I mean, six months ago, what were we saying about this game? Like, this was a game of the century type stuff. You know, like, this, there's just so much hype around this game. And it seems like every week we get closer to this game, the, the common talking point you hear around this game is how it's not important. I feel like I'm hearing more and more of this game's not that important, you know? Oh, Georgia and Clemson can both lose and get to the playoff. Like, that's true. But I feel like it feels like the the magnitude of this game is being minimized where I feel like it, this is still the biggest game that's going to happen in college football this year outside of the SEC championship. Like, if, if Clemson loses this game, you just look at just simply the data points on their schedule. Like, they have to rely on so many things to happen. Like, I think Clemson still obviously has a great chance to get in the playoff without, with a loss here, but... You're relying on Ohio State, Oklahoma getting tripped up. You're relying on North Carolina being a good opponent that is worth something in the ACC championship. So if you could just have this win over Georgia in your back pocket, well, everything else happens, any kind of chaos happens, it's like, oh, well, we beat Georgia. They're, if Georgia goes and runs the table and wins the SEC, it's like Clemson has that win. Like It's just an automatic – and then the same can be said for Georgia. Like If Georgia trips up and loses to Florida or even losing the SEC championship to Alabama, like – to have that win over Clemson in your back pocket is just huge. So I don't like how I feel like people are kind of minimizing this game. Um, but to get to the picks, I'm, I'm going Georgia plus a three. Uh, 31-26 is my score. Mm. So the next one, keep it moving. We got Thursday night, uh, Boise State at Central Florida. Central Florida is a five-and-a-half point favorite. I'm uh, I'm taking Central Florida all day in this one. I've gone back and forth on this so many times. This is the hardest one to pick for me of the pick'em. Um, okay, I see. I feel like with Dylan Gabriel and the play, the, just the transfer portal alone, like they just got so many guys in the transfer portal from Power Five conferences. Like I think you got like four or five Auburn players alone. Big Cat but, Bryant. Um, yeah, and um, who's the the receiver? The one guy that wasn't still Nate Craig Myers, I think is his yeah. name. I think he was like a Western Kentucky transfer, but a former Auburn player and the, the wide receiver as well. But yeah, I think UCF, I think it's just got more talent and Dylan Gabriel, I'm a believer at home too. Like it, it's going to be a, a rowdy environment. I think, I think I like him to win by at least a touchdown. Ooh, I, I just think this is going to be the most fun game to watch. Like, I think there's going to be a bunch of passing. Like, there's going to be elite quarterback play with Gabriel and um, Hank Brockmeyer. Like, I'm very excited to see these two go head-to-head. I... <sighs> this offensive line at Boise is good. They're going to be really good. Brockmeyer's going to have time. I think Ablos will will be good. I... What is the spread? What is it? Five and a half. Give me Boise to win and cover. Boise win outright. I think it's going to take some time. I think the one thing that's true, tried and true, and I think UCF fans have to 
deal with this. This is going to be part of the problem. This offense is going to be worse than what Heupel had. Like Heupel was an offensive genius. He is somebody who's just had success everywhere he's gone. Gus is the opposite of effect on quarterbacks. Like Dylan Gabriel is not going to be a Heisman candidate and Gus's offense. Like that's just not going to happen. He's going to take a step back. I just, I don't know. I, I think they're going to run the ball a little bit too much and they're not going to do the stuff that Dylan Gabriel excels at. I'm Give me, give me Boise. I trust Boise more. All right. And, um, and, and can I just say, this is what Thursday nights should be. I'm just so tired of the NFL on Thursday nights. These are the kind of games we need every week on Thursday nights. Like mm. these, these low key, like two, two not even ranked teams, but it's like, it's going to be an awesome game. Um, and then the next one we got tonight is uh, Ohio State goes on the road to Minnesota, and they are a 14-point favorite. I um I think wide, Ohio State's got the best wide receiving core in the country. I think yes. C.J. Stroud is going to be a star. I just don't know if he's a star tonight. Like I don't know if game one, first start of his career, he just hits the ground running. And I think, I think a lot of overreactions are going to be made to 2020 results. And I think Minnesota might be one of those. Mm-hmm. I think I think they had a great year in 2019. And I'm just I'm still I'm not I'm not selling PJ Fleck, you know. And I think I'm not taking Minnesota to win, but first game of the season, rowdy environment, and just, you know, brand new quarterback for Ohio State, I think they can keep it within 14. I think this this game feels like one of those that's gonna be 17-17 going into the half. And then you're just going to see Ohio State, just the better team, went out. But I think Minnesota's going to give them a game for a while. What is it again? What is the over-under? 14. Oh, man. That's high. Yeah. I Give me Ohio State to win, but Minnesota to cover. All right. Tanner Morgan, I, like the veteran, like you said, I think it's going to take some time getting acclimated with CJ Stroud and getting, building chemistry with this wideout group. But also... I could see this being a blowout depending on what our man looks like in the backfield. Like we were big Trey Sermon guys in this podcast, but it's not going to be Master Teague in the backfield. Do you know who is going to be leading this team in carries this year? It's got to be Trevion Henderson, I would think. Yes, true freshman. Like that is the wild card here. If he's a if he's elite right out of the gate, like they could easily blow the doors off Minnesota. And Minnesota also had two offensive linemen that missed all of 2020 uh, due to COVID. So they're getting two starters back on the offensive line. So that could definitely help them. And Ibrahim is going to be a workhorse for them. So yeah, no, Ohio state's definitely gonna be the best team in this conference. Hopefully Minnesota can keep it close tonight. And let's um, make it clear because this is going up tomorrow. We're either going to look like clairvoyant geniuses (laughs) or losers. So just keep that in mind. So when you're listening to this on Friday, Saturday, uh, before the games, just be like, Oh, they, they called these good for them. We, yeah, we should have just started, talking about it past tense like it already happened yeah um, i don't know if i can so, do that so uh then friday night mm-hmm. we got north carolina going on the road at virginia tech mm-hmm. going to blacksburg and north carolina is a five and a half point favorite i went back and forth with this game for a while um last year's game was was a close one it was a shootout in chapel hill so but Hendon Hooker was playing in that game, correct? Exactly. I just feel like North Carolina should be better than this. And yes. Even though it's Blacksburg, thir- Friday night, like start the season, like I just feel like North Carolina, if they're going to win anything, if they're going to be a contender, they got to come out and win this game by at least a touchdown, right? I, I think they should win this game by two touchdowns. So I'm, I'm a believer. Sam Howell, Tar Heels get it done. I agree for the reasons you laid out. I don't think the running game is going to be as good as it was a year ago. I think Virginia Tech will 
keep it close, but not not that close. I have real questions about their their quarterback spot this year. I am not uh, not the biggest believer in who they'll be trotting out uh, opposite of Hendon Hooker this season. I I don't know too many questions about Vatek, and I think UNC is not gonna they're they're gonna be ready to go they're they're ready to start off hot because they want to really challenge for clemson this year so give me carolina to win and cover all right and then our first saturday game we got big noon penn state at wisconsin just jumping right into the conference slate i love it right off the bat Mm -hmm. um and wisconsin is a four and a half point favorite at home who do you like in this one this is Oh, man. You go first on this one. I want to hear what your perspective so, is. So Penn, straight, Penn State's won four straight in this uh, in this series, but it dates back to 2012. Six mm. of the last seven, actually, dating back to 2007. But, yeah, I honestly feel like Penn State is, is going to be the better team in 2021. But the way it's set up week one at Wisconsin, I think, I think some people have, have touched around this touch on this around the country that I think the home field advantage this year might be more valuable than it's been in the past. Just from so many guys, just not experiencing those rowdy road environments yet in their career. And so while I kind of think Penn state is, has the potential to be better this year, I'm going to take Wisconsin in the opener and, uh, and to cover the spread. I'm going to take Wisconsin too, for both reasons. I also, man, who do you believe in more Sean Clifford or Graham Mertz? That's um, who. Um, yeah, it's hard. I this feel is, like can't. I believe in Camp Randall Stadium. Honestly, that's that's really what what t- turned it for me. That's gonna make James Franklin's job very complicated very early on. Like getting Wisconsin and Auburn early on this the schedule. That's rough because if they drop both, a lot of a lot of questions in Happy Valley. But um, sure, those are and those are two of the tougher games on the schedule. On the, mm. so I mean, you could see them lose both of those games and still go nine and three or something like that. So, and I honestly, I'm, I'm probably leaning towards them beating Auburn, but that's probably a lot depends on how they look on Saturday. Yeah. Um, give me Wisconsin because I do have Wisconsin winning the big 10 West this year. So give me, give me Wisconsin. I think they start off just right here. All right. So the next one, we go to Atlanta, Alabama and Miami in a Mercedes Benz stadium Alabama's an 18 and a half point favorite. And um, this is a huge number. Like, I wonder if we're kind of taking this game for granted just because we're just all assume what Alabama is, right? Like, they're just going to come out and smash people. Like, like we, we used to get excited for these games. Like, we tried, like, we tried to convince ourselves that, like, Bama USC was going to be, like, a good game. You know, like, just some of these openers they've had. Ah, but... I feel like I just wonder if they're going to hit the ground running just from day one with Bryce Young. So they did beat they could, Duke forty-two to three in this game two years ago. I mean, but they could come out and win what thirty-eight twenty-one and mm. not cover the spread. So eight and a half is just a huge number. I think Derek King, you know, this Miami team isn't terrible. Like they've been a solid team, and with Derek King kind of X factor at quarterback, like you know. Maybe they can lose by 17 points. I don't know. My Alabama might come out and just blast them, but just because of the big spread, I'm taking Miami. Ooh. Um, I'm going to take Bama to win and cover. I just don't think that, like you said, it sounds good in theory. You're like, that's a lot of points, but I don't know. I, I just, 
we, yeah, we say that. 35-0 at the end of the second quarter. Right. We just yeah. do this where it's like, that's too high. And then you're like, well, Bama does do this even though it like, I mean, they did only beat in 2017, a good Florida state team at that point, 24 to seven, 17. Um, yeah, it was a good team when Francois was actually healthy. Right. Uh, give me, give, oh God, that's brutal though. If Miami gets boat raced like that, they lose by 20 plus. So you're going Bama. I am going Bama, but I'm concerned about Miami and their trajectory. If they get boat raced like that, Medias has some questions. I mean, yeah. they could get boat raced and still be the best team in the ACC. Honestly, like you never I, even. Well, hold on. Clemson's not getting really, boat raced I mean, by they're Bama. Not gonna be Clem- they're not going to probably be better than Clemson, but I'm just saying, like, the Big Twelve champion has gotten boat raced by Alabama a few times. You True. know, like Ohio State last year. So okay. you can't even yeah. use Alabama as a measuring stick, really. But um, then moving on to your team. Mm. Back to Big Ten country. We got Indiana. I was going to say, I think Iowa. Tennessee plays tonight. We missed them if that was going to be on the... I, I'm surprised <laughs> Tennessee Bowling Green did not make your... You're a Big Ten guy. Let's be honest. <laughs> but um, no, I know Iowa's your squad this year. Indiana hmm. at Iowa. Iowa's a three-point favorite. For me, this is similar to the Penn State-Wisconsin. Uh, I kind of feel like Indiana's going to be a better team this year. But season opener at Iowa, I feel like I'm leaning more towards Iowa. I am too um also just that like are we sure michael Penix is going to survive in this game iowa's defense is legit and they're going to hit him and he obviously missed the end of last season because um uh due to injury and he has not played a full season at iu yet um i think this group in indiana is going to be good i just uh, i don't like betting on spencer peters but i'm excited to see what he does against this uh very good uh indiana defense but I think with Goodson, they're going to get him out wide. I like the receivers. The offensive line is maybe the best in the Big Ten this year. The secondary is top-notch. Indiana is not like Indiana is not going to be able to pass on this Iowa secondary on Saturday. And I think that's going to be a problem. So Penix is going to have to do a lot of scrambling. He's going to have to do a lot of stuff for himself. And I just don't think that's the recipe for beating Kirk Ferentz. Um, Ferentz is going to want that. He's going to make Penix make some mistakes. I think Iowa's good team, and I think the Iowa-Wisconsin game decides the West this year. So give me the Hawkeyes to win and cover. All right, and then uh, moving right along. Wait, um, who did you have in that one? I took Iowa as well. Okay. And cover. Um, into the Big 12, another Sun Belt Big 12 rivalry we got going on. Sun Belt, I think, went 3-0 and versus the Big 12 in week one last year. Um, but we got the Raging Cajuns. Going on the road to Texas. Texas is an eight-point favorite. Mm. And, and I almost picked the upset, to be honest. Like, I feel like I won't even be surprised if, if Louisiana wins this game. Like, They're a good team. Billy Napier is an excellent coach. I think Texas is going to win, but I like uh, Louisiana to keep it close. So you have Louisiana covering? I do. Dang it, so do I. You're doing the same thing? Texas I am. winning the game? All right. Hey, Casey Thompson's here, right? debut, though. Say that again? Casey Thompson's debut. I'm excited for that. No, uh, Hudson Card. Oh, is he starting? Hudson Card is named the starter at uh, Texas. Oh, yeah. I missed this. Yes. Big news. I didn't see this. Oh, this was two days. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Casey Thompson also to get playing time. Man, Hudson Card is the most Texas name I've heard since Colt McCoy. <laughs> Hudson Card. And I feel like that kind of gives you like 
a little bit of excitement as a fan, right? Yeah. Like if it's, you know, if you, if you come in and you know the the guy that's not really an exciting name, but he was already there. If he wins the job, it's like okay, well, let's hope he can be better than he was. But you don't really know. If a new name comes in and he beats somebody out, like you 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 figure if he's the starter. He must have been actually playing well and beat somebody out, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, maybe maybe Texas has something with Hudson Card, but uh, we'll see. Week one, I like the Raging Cajuns to keep it close. Um, I like, yeah, give me Texas to win, but the Cajuns to to cover. And you talk about the, probably the hardest game on this schedule: Texas Tech at Houston, mm. and um, Texas Tech on the road is a one and a half point favorite. Oh, lock this in. Upset of the week. Give me the home dog of the week. Shout out to Zeus and Maddox. Matt Green, this is what we need to put on on social. Here it is. Houston. Give me Houston here. Lock it in. Done deal. Houston's winning this football game. Well, I respect uh, the shout out for, for Zeus and Maddox. One and a half points. That's not a very big dog. I feel Doesn't like. matter on the list. It's the biggest <laughs> one we got. Like, give me that's uh, you. I don't pick the pickup. You pick the pickup. That's what you gave well, me. Uh, we got Minnesota. Minnesota's a home dog. That's but, true. But we're not having them actually win. You're you having Houston win it. That's that's cool. I'm um I actually took Texas Tech. I feel like Houston is a uh, I don't know. They weren't they weren't great last year. Texas Tech wasn't either. But you know, coin flip. I'm, I'm going Texas Tech. Houston's good. I like their quarterback a lot. Um, I think they'll be a lot better with Dana Holgerson uh, this season. I am real concerned about the direction of Matt Wells' program in Lubbock. I am not a not a believer there. No Alan Bowman under center. Like who's even like who won the Texas Tech job at quarterback? I already forgot. Let's I see. I forgot as well. <laughs> I'm pulling it up. It's not yeah. Jet Duffy. Oh, that's right. Tyler Shook from. Um, Oregon the transfer from Oregon oh that's right that's right so you know it could be something to be encouraged about no it's Lubbock they think they're the worst (laughs) team in the big 12 not named Kansas so give me Houston give me Houston all right and then um prime time Fox we got UCLA hosting LSU and LSU is a three and a half point road favorite what are you thinking in this one what was it uh, LSU is a three and a half point favorite on the road. <sighs> Another game Vegas has no idea what to do with it. Um, people are going to make way too much out of Hawaii in that beatdown that they suffered at the hands of UCLA. The thing about UCLA that's going to be so interesting is they don't have to go downfield at all. I am so curious to see how this offensive line that's been together for several years now, how they block this i mean the talent advantage will be lsu like they have the four and five stars in the defensive line they have the talent there you have stingley like it's actually a bad matchup for lsu because their best player on defense is not going to be like he's not going to be able to be utilized in the same way that he will be challenged in the sec they're not going to pass like they're not going to challenge Derek stingley in this game they're going to be running rpo stuff all night all, all night long with dtr and zach charbonnet like that's what we're gonna see they're gonna keep it on the ground and see if they can run lsu off the field this is tough if you're a pac-12 school like ucla will they be able to do that against lsu's front seven um i don't know i i think it's possible i think it's that what we saw is an identity that will win a lot of pac-12 games this year like they could win the pac-12 south 
it's very much in, in play for Chip Kelly's group. They've bought in. They understand his scheme now. It's really, really looking like a Chip Kelly system. But LSU does have so much talent. I am a big Max Johnson guy, the lefty, uh, Mark Rick's nephew. I think he's going to be really good for them. Um, I'm excited to see what he looks like in this game. I think LSU has a lot of pressure on them to win this football game. And I am going to go with them. I think John Emery has a gigantic game in this one. I'm not a big believer in UCLA's defense. So we'll see what they do with Emery. Um, But yeah, give me LSU to win and cover. Yeah, I was um, kind of had the same logic as you. I think a lot of people are making way too big of a deal about the the dominant win over Hawaii. I um, in my research, this might not be a hundred percent right, but mm. I believe in my research, the last time LSU played a regular season game in the state of California was 1984 at USC, and so it's been a long time since they went out to the West Coast, and I wonder how much that you know, that sort of thing can impact and all obviously all the, the distractions with the hurricane and everything going on. But um I um I, I tend to lean towards LSU as well. I think I think just a lot a lot is being made of UCLA. Like you said, their running game was great, but if they're if they're gonna beat LSU, they're not gonna be able to just lean on the running game. Like DTR is gonna have to make some plays. And I think I think he will. I think this will be a close game, but I like LSU to win. You know, pro- probably by a touchdown. Mm. Okay. So we both we both agreed on that one, right? Yes. Okay. So um, and then we got the last one. We got Notre Dame at Florida State. Another home dog here. Florida State Ooh. seven and a half points. Uh, man, I was close to picking Florida State. I wrote down Florida State. Ah, but I feel like seven and a half points isn't, that's not a lot. It's like basically, you know, obviously it's more than a touchdown, but Florida State, like while I think they're going to be a good team, I don't know if, I don't know if they're going to come out of the gates ready to play with a team like Notre Dame. Like Notre Dame, they obviously lost Kellen Mond, lost like a good amount from, a lot of experience from that team a year ago, but like Brian Kelly's built a really solid program up there. And like, I could see this game being a game for three quarters and Notre Dame, you know, wins, you know, 31, 21 or, or something like that. So even if, if that many points are scored in this game. So I, um, I, I'm like a Notre Dame on the going on the road and getting it done. I like Notre Dame to win and cover as well. We do we even know who's going to be under center for Notre Dame in this one. Is it Jack Cohn for sure? Uh, I don't know if I saw an announcement, but yeah, that's, that's why I was under the impression was starting. That's going to be interesting. Like, okay. Yeah. He was named the starter. So it's going to be, it's going to be Cone, but, um, we'll see if Tyler Buckner gets in there. I don't know. I am, I'm curious to see how long Cone stays on top of this job, but yeah, I think this is Florida state's not there, but I think if they can just keep it close for three quarters, that's a big win for them. Um, and also kudos to them for scheduling Notre Dame. There you go. I like it. And this will be a good one. Well, did they schedule Notre Dame or is that just kind of the ACC? Like Notre Dame gets a few of those ACC games. True. Year, right. Yeah, that's true. But um, so just to refresh, uh, recap, we disagree on Boise State, UCF. And you think Bama's going to cover? I do not. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then Georgia Clemson. That's uh, That's it. I mean, a, lot, that's, a lot of agreements this week. I mean, that's still pretty pretty hefty uh, disagreements. That gives me an opportunity to really jump out of the gates. 
on a on a positive note really separate oh, myself man, i need to uh i need to sure recap the the listeners on on last year's score. we don't have to do that i have to uh, i'm gonna have to revisit that no that was covid that year in front of me yeah <laughs> covid year it's a it's irrelevant macaroon i don't even remember how that went i think i both of us forgot how how the end of that one scholars maintain that uh <laughs> translation was lost exactly ago. um matt green i will be in Neilan tonight so i'll report back to you on that make sure to give us so who who is zeus and maddox who are who are we putting in front of them today who who is your social media assignment who are i mean you're you're going houston i just feel like the one and a half it's kind of a weak dog you okay know? so i feel like oh and minnesota's tonight so i don't feel like you can really use that you know for true because that's a that's one we both agreed on but um oh man i guess I guess I guess you gotta do Houston. That's the only dog. Yeah, you gotta do Houston. Yeah, we'll uh, get some Cougs, some Cougs stuff up there for the dogs. Okay, I'm looking out for it, Matt Green. I'm looking out for it. That's your responsibility. I need it over. And give me the. I need it for the Ah, social. It's true. Need it for the brand. Not a social guy, you know. Not a social media guy. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Work on it, Matt Green. Enjoy the weekend. I'm sure I'll be texting you throughout Georgia Clemson, um, which. Should be a lot of fun, no matter which way it goes. Um, just a lot of big-time matchups, and we get different games every night. It's, it's delightful to actually have games to talk about again. Without a doubt. If I'm texting back, then um, that probably means it's, it's a good game for Georgia. So Okay. Mm. Um, I think it's going to be a good game for the balls tonight. Uh, Matt Green, we can follow you on Twitter at Matt underscore W underscore Green. Um, follow myself at Chase underscore Thomas. More to this episode after we wrap up here. But if you like listening to Matt and I, we will be doing this on this very feed every Thursday and Sunday during the college football season, which gets kicked off this weekend. Matt, thank you so much. I will talk to you on Sunday. Sounds good. All right, hello, and welcome back to the Thursday afternoon edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I'm joined by a first-timer, someone who covers a football team with all the expectations in the world. Couldn't be me. Couldn't be me. Graham Coffey is here from Dog Sports, a very good Georgia football, basketball, baseball, gymnastics, you name it, website. Go check that out if you have not already. Graham, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing well, Chase. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. Are you nervous? Two days out? Um, you know, I think at this point we've dissected this game for so long and just kind of milked every ounce of content out of it that uh, it's taken a lot of the mystery out of it. Uh, like, you know, I've, I've watched so much Clemson film and Georgia film and dug into every possible advanced metric that I can find. And so I think at this point I'm just more ready for it to – to be here and and to like get in the flow of the season and uh maybe kind of like get on the other side of this game and and it kind of feel a little more normal just because it's odd to have this big of a game in week one yeah and i'm just glad it was not at a a site like sanford stadium or death valley that would have been too much i'm glad that it's a neutral site where we can really get that fan atmosphere where it feels like a big time oh no that that's not how it works that's that's not what they should have done um i know i was i was i was i was kind of i was gonna let you do your spiel but i was gonna have to politely disagree with you on that because 
I do think this game would be just much more entertaining on campus. Um, yes. Yeah, the 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 atmosphere you know i mean obviously i think it would swing the it, it might be the type of game where it would probably be kind of possibly swung by that home field advantage um mm-hmm. especially for clemson just because dj is never gone on the road to a full stadium right um mm-hmm. i mean like he's on the dr pepper commercial and we're talking about him like he's a heisman candidate because he was a super recruit and don't get me wrong he's super super talented but the flip side of that is just He's only played two games, and none of those were were in a normal football season. So it'll be interesting to see just what he's like, even in in front of 76,000 people, even if it is a half-and-half kind of environment. Well, it's interesting you bring up DJ's two-game sample size, because Georgia fans are all in on JT Daniels' four-game sample size down the stretch (laughs) last year. So I would be careful, sir, when you're going at DJ Ugalehi's sample at Clemson versus JT Daniels at this point. All right, so well, you're you're right. We will say, you know, JT did at least start a full season at Southern Cal. Not that he had uh, a great year mm-hmm. at Southern Cal uh, his freshman year, but but he has been on the road in some of those big environments. Um, I don't think he's going to be uncomfortable or you know shell shocked by by being under the lights in any way. What I'll say for for JT because uh, I've been having this you know this debate on Twitter a lot this off season with with all sorts of folks and yes the the slate of south carolina missouri uh cincinnati and mississippi state is not exactly a a murderer's row but uh what he did in those games i mean even adjusted for opponent strength his his qbr was was number four in the ncaa for 2020 so he he still outperformed the standard that the other quarterbacks were performing against those defense for sure. That's fine. I mean, I saw more from Will Rogers down the stretch last year than JT Daniels. Like I'm a bit, like I'm more comfortable betting on Will Rogers at Mississippi State this year and what that wow. offense is going to look like than JT. Really? Yes. Okay. I think Mississippi State's going to be good. Um I think the the bounce back is there. They've got a lot of talent out there. I do. Uh if you look at Lee's year 2, I mean, I know mm. I'm here to talk about Georgia Clemson, but uh his year 2 bump has always been pretty significant everywhere he's been and they return a lot of production, and uh, I picked them, I think, to go like 8-4, and four, mm. maybe 7-5. and five. I, I got to go back and look at my predictions I put out a couple weeks ago for the, the SEC, but uh, I got a lot of heat for that one. There was a lot of people that were like, how dare you pick Mississippi State to have a winning record? It was like, well, I think they're going to. Well, the problem with the West and picking the West is that, like, the best team in the West, could, the worst team rather, could be Auburn, and they go five and seven. But like, would run That's rough exactly shot through thinking. the East. Like, it's going to yeah. be a bloodbath. The SEC West is just. I mean, that's the problem with Arkansas. It's like I have so much optimism about Arkansas and what Sam Pittman's doing and just Barry Odom just being a defensive wizard and they have a lot of talent at linebacker and they you like a lot of their pieces. You like the wide receiver options. You like KJ Jefferson. You like where they're at. And then you're like, oh, right. Where are these wins coming from? Who are they beating? Right. Like, who is no, who yeah. are they? who are they actually beating? But if they're in the Big 12, we look at them as like a top 15 program in the country. Like, they're a program where it's just like the West is just not fair to schools like Mississippi State and um, Arkansas, maybe Ole Miss, too. But, like, it's just not. I <laughs> The SEC West is going to benefit so much from the pod scheduling that's coming with totally. Texas and Oklahoma because they just need to get out of that because it's just it's going to be a bloodbath for those. I don't want to say bottom tiers because it's not fair to them, but it's just there's 
it it's just different <laughs> when you have Alabama, Auburn, LSU, and everybody else at the top of that conference. It just makes it and Texas A&M. It just it's not a not really a fair fight year over year. No, one hundred percent. I mean, Arkansas. Uh, I think it was last year with the twenty four seven sports mm-hmm. talent composite. You know, they were like the twenty fourth best or twenty third best recruited roster in college football. Yep. Um, and they probably had you know, the, the worst or second worst roster in the SEC West. Like, that's crazy to think about, right? Uh, they have a top 25 roster and they're sixth or seventh in their own division. Like, mm. that's insane. For sure. For sure. Um, but we'll see. Like you said, we're, 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 this is not a Mississippi State podcast. This is, uh, that, that you can go check out Better Than Average. Friend of the pod, Matt Wyatt's excellent Mississippi State Bulldogs nice. podcast. But, um, no, Georgia, I, I'm just very fascinated because I wrote about this the other day of like who is going into this weekend with more uh just on a bigger hot seat uh kirby smart or ed orgeron and i think it's for very different reasons um i think what lsu does it ucla doesn't really matter um with what what happens on the field this fall for them i think the expectations are not national title or bust i mean it looks like it's mm-hmm. gonna be max johnson who i like a lot i think max showed yeah. a lot especially in that florida game athens zone Max Johnson, Brad Johnson's Indeed. son. I think Mark Rick is his uncle. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. That's correct. Yep. Um, so I think he'll be fine. Um, I think the the players. I think they'll bounce back a little bit. He's leaning back on the Joe Brady coaching tree, going back to what worked. Um, that's probably what Ed or- Ed Ordron does best. And an advantage he has over Kirby is he hire like I would trust him to hire coordinators because he knows his limitations. Where he's like Whoa. I, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh right. yes. Okay. I mean, wait. So. You trust him to hire coordinators, but he gave like two million dollars to Bo Pelini. That's what I'm saying. That was a mess. That was a miss. But hey, okay. Bo Pelini, right. like he didn't even meet him. Like I, that's one of my favorite stories is he hired him without ever meeting Bo Pelini. It's incredible. That, 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 it, well, what, what I'm, I'm saying, saying is man. that's kind of what I'm saying here. Well, hold on. Who was the OC at the University of Georgia before Todd Monken? James Coley, mm-hmm. who I was very critical of that hire right. when it happened. And I was even more critical of that hire throughout the uh, 2019 season. Anytime you're running uh, like a zone redraw on about a quarter of your plays, it shows an extreme lack of inventiveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before Coley? Before Coley, it was Cheney. Yes, it was. And as someone who's experienced Jim Cheney for a lot of my life, a lot of my Tennessee fans, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, didn't enjoy that experience either didn't enjoy the Jim Cheney experience all that much either. Yeah, I mean, that that's a fair one. I do think Cheney did a much better job at Georgia than he did at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, they, they went to that national title game in 2017. I thought he did a good job of designing a, an offense around a true freshman quarterback who – who had quite a few limitations in his own right. Um, if you go back to that 2017 SEC title game against Auburn, you know, he put together a really good game plan for Fromm that just asked him to do what, what he was good at, which was basically like little stop fade routes on the sidelines. And, and Fromm was really comfortable throwing outside the hashes and not that comfortable throwing uh, in the middle of the field, which is pretty, pretty opposite of, of most young quarterbacks and most college quarterbacks in general. But I thought JD was was decent. My only criticism of him, truthfully, would just be I think he took his foot off the gas a couple times against Alabama. But I also don't know if that was a Cheney decision or a smart decision or a you know a joint decision by the Brain Trust. But uh, I, I won't kill Cheney 
too bad. I mean, I, as a Tennessee fan, I totally understand why why you would you know hate him. Um, I don't hate but, him. I just don't think he's very inventive. I don't think he's very. I don't know. It just feels like he's kind of out of. Hate him. Hate his his play calling. Um, I, I mean, I think Georgia fans look back on Cheney with uh, somewhere you know ambivalence or fondness, but I don't think there's a ton of vitriol there. No, he's no Brian Schottenheimer. That is for no. Sure. No, he's definitely not Brian Schottenheimer, but who is, right? Not many. Uh, I think Brian Schottenheimer is. Um, biggest question mark for both teams coming into this game on Saturday. Okay, uh, so I think Georgia's biggest question mark, um, a lot of people would tell you it's the wide receiver room, but mm-hmm. it's not. Uh, I know that they're without Pickens and probably without Washington and you know Gilbert was never really part of the team for a significant amount of time so is he just gone is he just not playing for Georgia this year I I don't know truthfully I don't want to speculate um I've heard some people that think he'll be back part of the team um you know within the month of September sometime but uh I do think that you know at, at some point he'll probably be back but uh I just I'm not sure kind of what uh sorry I just had a little screen snafu here um I'm just not sure you know what what his deal is or what's going on so I I, I wouldn't want to say yeah. one or the other um but yeah biggest question mark for Georgia I think is going to be the the offensive line there's a ton of talent there it's well recruited just like every position room at Georgia but you still have some guys that just haven't really been in a game like this. Um, and that O-line, even with as much talent as has been there and as many NFL picks that it has produced, has never really been, like, that great. They've never, I think, like, really played better than the sum of their parts uh, or even as well as the sum of their parts throughout most of Kirby's tenure. So... With Warren Erickson, the center, um, you know, he had a hand injury and there's been speculation if he's, you know, he was snapping with his his other hand, his left hand, and they were saying he was ambidextrous. And then there was talk about moving him to guard. I don't know if he's playing center on Saturday night or not. Um, if he's not, it's a guy named named Cedric Van Pran Granger, who was the number one center in uh in the entire country coming out of high school two years ago so definitely a talented kid but like you're talking about getting thrown off the deep end uh against maybe the best d-line in college football probably the second best d-line in college football behind georgia's if i'm being truthful um so i think that's a big a big question mark and then just the left tackle situation at georgia was pretty sketchy last season um and that kind of culminated in the bowl game when Xavier Trust started at left tackle and he was getting blown by uh, pretty frequently by Cincinnati's edge rushers, which I think, you know, are clearly a step down from what they'll see against Clemson. So I think that uh, Jamari Sawyer is going to go out there to left tackle, but his natural position is left guard. He did play tackle a lot in, in 2020 and and played it well. But I think ultimately what Georgia would like to see is one of these younger guys like a, a Broderick Jones or an Amarius Mims assert themselves at that position 
and allow Sawyer to go back inside to guard because I think they can do a lot of creative things with him pulling and getting out on the edge. So it's it's going to be pretty fascinating just to see, A, how they line up, and then, B, how they perform and how they substitute throughout the game. The biggest concern you have for Georgia? Biggest concern for Georgia? Um, I, well, I would think, truthfully, it would have to be that news that broke yesterday. Uh you know, their their head trainer, Ron Corson, and their head physical therapist both tested positive for COVID. Um, all the intel that I've gotten and, and I have, you know, spoken with someone who is a staffer at UGA uh, is that they have been practicing social, dis- social distancing and mask mandates within the football facility this entire time. And that Corson, you know, hadn't really been around anybody the, the past couple of days. So I'm hoping that no one has been exposed or anything like that. But with COVID, it's just it's a insidious, insidious kind of thing. And you just don't really know who's exposed until you know who's exposed and everyone gets tested. Now, I mean, Georgia does have a vaccination rate over 90 percent. So you would think things would be uh, better than like if this happened at, at Auburn or, you know, somewhere that maybe doesn't have as, as high of a vaccination rate. But I just it would be such a Georgia thing, man, for like, you know, 90% of the team to be fine. But like the three guys that aren't are like JT Daniels and like Jordan Davis and, you know, pick, pick one other important player. And it's just, it's just enough to sink the entire thing, you know? So um, that's my biggest concern, you know, between now and kickoff. Interesting. Um, are you at all like when you look at the secondary and what uh-huh. DJ is going to do and what Clemson is going to attack? What Tony Elliott, almost Tennessee Volunteer head coach Tony Elliott, mind uh-huh. you, um, leave the hang the banners. Almost a Tennessee Volunteer head coach Tony Elliott. Um, what do you think they're going to target? If you had to, if you had to guess where they target, because like I don't think the front seven is where you want to go after. I don't think they're going to run up the middle. I don't think they're going to play that kind of style and try and beat Georgia in the trenches. Uh-huh. I think they're going to, they're going to avoid that. Um, even with some question marks at receiver, both teams, like we've mentioned, have some question marks. They have talent, but the, it's just uncertainty. So we'll see who, right. who breaks through. But when you think of DJ and you think of what their game plan is going to be over the top, deep, that kind of stuff, like who do you think they target? Is there a specific corner? Is there a specific safety? Like who do you think is going to be targeted a lot that you're going to write down? You're going to be like, uh-oh, this is a this is a weakness, and they figured it out. Yeah, so, I mean, I you know, I spoke with Matt Connolly of uh, On3. He's their uh, Clemson beat writer last week and, and had the opportunity to interview him, uh, and he's great. And he was pretty adamant you know, that Clemson cannot run on this Georgia defense. Um, and so, you know, that, that kind of matches your thinking there. So really the conclusion that I kind of got out of that is that DJ has got a pass for probably 350 to 400 yards to win this game. Um, so how do they do that? I mean, I think the, the natural mismatch is uh, Justin Ross in the slot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Tyke Smith was the guy that everyone was counting on playing that that star position in the Georgia defense, which is kind of that hybrid safety linebacker defensive back. And 
in Georgia's base defense, uh, that's the guy that's going to cover your slot wide receivers. And he was one of the best slot defenders in the country last year, if not, you know, at West Virginia before transferring. Well, he injured his foot a few weeks ago. Doesn't seem like he's going to play. I'm not sure anyone really knows for sure, but assuming he's not going to play, or even if he is playing and he's not 100%, if I'm Tony Elliott, that's, you know, that's the pressure point that I'm going to try and hit first and, and, and test. I think from there, uh, you do have Darion Kendrick on the other side, which I think, you know, he's probably more of a known commodity than, than any of the other uh, new defensive backs. And then Keely Ringo is a true freshman. I mean, he was, you know, I think the 24 sevens sixth highest rated defensive back recruit ever. So there's a ton of hype around him. Physically, he's, he's a freakish specimen. He's six foot three and, you know, is the fastest guy on the team and all of that great stuff. But uh, he's still never been in a, a game like this. This will be his first college game. He had a shoulder injury last year and redshirted. So I think, you know, take your shots early. Um, what's interesting for me uh, is just if you go back and watch what Clemson did against Boston College and Notre Dame when DJ started last year, uh, like DJ threw for, you know, a ton of yards against Notre Dame, 400 and something yards. But a ton of those yards came off of, of screens and slants and, and short little passes. Um, and you know, it was ETN and Amari Rogers who you Tennessee fans know Mm. very well. Mm. And, (laughs) and, uh, Cornell Powell. And so all three of those guys are all in the NFL now talking to Clemson people they're They don't know. They're they're just not sure if this, receiving core has those guys that are really kind of game breakers after the catch and, and super agile and elusive off of, of screens and, you know, have that high end speed to take a slant 75 yards. If, if someone's just a, a step or two out of position in the secondary. So I, it feels like Clemson is going to have to throw the ball downfield um, and, and they're going to have to do it early and often. And, they have big athletic wide receivers. These guys are all blue chippers, but among their starting receivers, you know, those guys have played six combined seasons and the only one of them to ever have a hundred yard game is uh, Justin Ross. So there is some kind of unproven things on, on their side too. So I, I don't think the, the narrative I think has been like Clemson's wide receivers versus Georgia's secondary is a matchup that you can just definitely like, marking big red ink into Clemson's column. And I'm not positive that's correct. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I I am very, very curious to see what happens. I'm curious to see also if Will Shipley gets involved. Like, I wonder how many so packages that they have planned for Will Shipley and how much George is prepping for, for them to throw him out there. If things are struggling and they're like, all right, we got to see what we have here a little bit in Shipley. Um, that dude is going to be a monster. I just don't know if he they're going to they're going to get him involved against somebody like Georgia right out of the gate. I think if they're smart, they will. Um, I think that they need to get him the ball on some swing passes, or even you know line him up uh, on some some little packages where you know he can basically just take a long handoff by the sideline um, with a screenplay and have some lead blocking and just see what he can do. Because like you said, he is going to be a monster. And I just think he brings a different skill set 
that they don't really have anywhere else in their wide receiver core. And I think they need that to win this game. And if I was them, you know, uh, I would, I would test Georgia on some wheel routes and try and hit him out of the backfield on some wheel routes and see if, see if Georgia's fixed, uh, you know, what was really exposed as a, a major weakness by Florida last year. Absolutely. It's funny you mentioned Florida. Mm-hmm. I, to bring it back to the whole like hot seat thing, I don't think Kirby is on the hot seat. Like that's not a, a real conversation that should be had. Right. But I do think Georgia, because of the way their schedule works and because of this Clemson game and where the Florida game is and then everything after the Florida game, so much is riding on how they play here. Just because mm-hmm. I, if you drop the Clemson game, you have like there's no you you just can't lose to Dan Mullen like you cannot lose to Florida too so it just it makes Florida a win now and then Florida and Dan Mullen are looking at this as like oh we have blood in the water because you can't go back-to-back seasons with this amount of talent and not win the east like you just can't you can't lose to Mullen back-to-back years like that that's just where people are going to start losing it because the talent disparity is there Mullen's recruiting Uh okay but it's not the same and if Emory Jones pops then you're like "Uh uh-oh this is uh, this is gonna be this is gonna be tight because you did just lose last year. I'm very curious if they look at it that way, where it's like we have to get this one because we cannot go into the Florida game um, with our backs against the wall that we just kind of have to do this because like Georgia's season is going to be very different than a lot of other programs, and this is something that I think I, I feel bad for my Bulldogs friends. Like my okay. parents, Bulldogs. Like it, that's how it works. It's a house divided. Like half my family in Tennessee. That. All right. Yeah. So. I understand this very well. Um, Tennessee's not in this world anymore. I don't know if they'll ever be back in this world, so I don't have to worry about that. I'm just striving, marching for six. But when you have this much talent, this is part of the deal where now because their schedule is just filled with teams that they are going to be favored by 20 plus points, 15 points, these Saturdays are going to be boring. Like Alabama does this all the time. Like they at least, at least have Miami and a couple other non-conference games that are going to make it a little bit more interesting this year. But like mm-hmm. by and large, most Alabama seasons are extremely boring. Like I talked to my Alabama friends, like they're out by the third quarter. That's where Georgia yeah, is now. Inevitability. Yes. Week. Cause you've recruited so well that you're just going to stomp all these teams, like nine, at least nine games on this calendar for Georgia they're going to stomp teams, but we're not going to remember that. So I feel bad for Kirby and these fans where he's like, I built this machine where I step on the necks of just about every team, but I've also got Clemson and Florida on my schedule, two top 10 teams potentially, and I've got to win those because it's all anybody's going to remember. They're not going to remember the recruiting. They're not going to remember what I've built here. It's just going to come down to how I perform in these two games, and you get the first one right out of the gate. I, I'm just I'm fascinated by all of that. Does that make sense? No, it does. It does make sense. Um and I, I mean, I agree with what you're saying. Uh, I think that you're right. Like if if Georgia, you know, doesn't go back to Atlanta this year, then people are going to start asking some hard questions, and and that's going to be fair. I mean, people should start asking hard questions of exactly, you know, why is there all this talent and it's not being utilized? Um, I think that Kirby gets a little bit of an unfair rap sometimes, um, especially with the whole, you know, off like narrative around him and, you know, him not being able to develop quarterbacks or him, you know, being a a hindrance to the offense. Like he went out and hired Todd Monken, who I think was one of, if not the best uh, offensive minds available at that time. And I mean, really he wasn't available. He went and hired him away from the Cleveland Browns, but uh, 
if you watch a lot of Georgia football, which I obviously do, um, the play designs and the schemes and just the the kind of building blocks of the offense last year were so much appe- more appealing and, and so much more intelligent than what you saw out of Coley and even, you know, what you saw out of Cheney. And it was just a, a more mature, you know, kind of modern NFL style offense. The problem is that Stetson Bennett and Dewan Mathis were the guys running it for two thirds of the season. And so, you know, watching back tape and stuff like that, uh, it'd be like, Oh my God, well, he schemed this guy open over here and this guy open 40 yards downfield. And there's these guys wide open and these quarterbacks are either not seeing them or not hitting them. And so I think, you know, we saw that kind of come to fruition, uh, a good bit when Daniels came in at the end of the year, you know, I mean, you saw the program have two 400 yard passing games and they hadn't had a single one since, since 2013, you know, so having two and four games was significant in my mind. But I think that Daniels uh, really just kind of like, I think Monken is so good that Daniels probably for the most part on most downs just needs to play kind of a point guard type of role and just distribute the ball not try to do too much. Um, you saw him kind of play like hero ball a little bit against Cincinnati when they got behind. And I think he has to avoid that on Saturday night because when he starts running around in circles in the backfield, instead of just getting rid of the ball, uh, that's when bad things happen and, you know, big havoc plays happen for the defense. So that's kind of my, my big concern. But like, I think this is what frustrates me just in general about, you know, kind of covering Georgia football uh, at this point in time is just there's so many narratives around Kirby that are, that are for the most part lazy. And, and, and like what you just said, I think is a hundred percent true. So I'm not, you know, directing that at you in any way, shape or form, but uh, you just see like, you know, like the Justin Fields thing is still going on or, people are still talking about, you know, his, his lack of desire to run a modern offense. And it's like, well, okay, if this was still 2018 or 2019, then I would agree with you. But the evidence is here that, that, that has changed. Um, and it seems like a lot of people probably aren't going to acknowledge that until he either like wins a national title or maybe wins a game like the one they have Saturday night. I think that's a big opportunity for, for Georgia to just get a lot of, you know, a lot of monkeys off their back. Absolutely. So how do you see it ultimately unfolding? What do you what do you see happening here on Saturday? So truthfully, I think that, um, you know, the, the point that I made earlier about the wide receivers, uh, I think is a, a, a pretty big deal. And, you know, if, if let's just assume that that's true. Right. And that DJ does have to throw for 350 to 400 yards to to kind of keep Clemson in this game and to get them into the the mid twenties points wise. I just don't know how you do that with their offensive line situation. Um, You know, Dabo came out earlier this week and said, they're going to be rotating centers. He also mentioned that, you know, they're going to start a true freshman at left guard and just Jordan Davis is really good. And that's the name that, you know, you see ESPN talk about and, and lots of people that, kind of don't follow Georgia football very closely, but Devontae Wyatt might be better than him. 
and is going to be right there next to him uh, on that interior line. He had more sacks, more hurries, more tackles for loss last year than Davis, and and he had less snaps than Davis did. So I just think that's a nightmare. And those guys are lining up, you know, over the center, and a straight line is the the quickest way between two objects. And it's like those guys are the the closest point to DJ on the field. And if they have to run that downfield passing attack, which I think they do, I just don't know that he's always going to have time. And so I think there's a pretty good chance that this game is a lot like uh, the Super Bowl last year where, you know, Clemson has this great skilled quarterback and they have some some really skilled wide receivers and lots of other, you know, there's there's some wonderful players on that football team and they're a a great football team for sure. Um, But much like the Kansas City Chiefs, in the Super Bowl, it's just none of those advantages could really take hold because the D line kept any of these basic things that they should be able to do from happening just because like at the snap the quarterback had to to basically like start evading rushers. And I think that you're gonna see a lot of that on Saturday night. And I think that's probably the difference for Georgia. Um I you know I've, I've like I want to be clear before I say this because I'm going to sound like a homer, but it's like I've I've watched film on this game, uh, I have dug into advanced stats, I've dug deep, deep, deep into PFF's player grades. Like I've consumed as much data on this matchup as I possibly can. And when Tyke Smith and Darnell Washington were first announced, you know when it first came out that they were going to be hurt. Um, like I picked Georgia to go 11 and one this year in our SEC predictions that we did on our show because I felt like they were going to lose this game uh, when that news came out. And then when I kind of dug in and reassessed everything, I really just think Georgia's going to win, and I think that they could win uh, by like a, you know 10 to 14 points. Um, and I could be totally wrong about that, but like that's a doomsday scenario for Clemson when you look at the rest of their schedule. If they get boat raced or they lose by double digits to georgia and then they're sitting well, at 11 I think if and they one lose by 10 it's one thing if they lose by you know 24 it's another and i do think if either coach has the uh, opportunity to tack on a couple scores and is up comfortably they're gonna do it because i don't think they want to see each other again um mm. i think the winner of this game would love to to knock the other out of the playoff i don't think clemson can knock georgia out just because they i was gonna say because all georgia has to do is beat florida and they're back in the title game and they're fine and then they get to play Alabama, who's yeah. probably going to be 12 I don't think 11. it's going to be Alabama in the West. Really? Is it A&M? I do think it's A&M. Wow. I just don't... I don't know. They get man. a lot right. They get Bama at home. They get... They their schedule is nice. Their schedule is nice. I just nice don't know about this. Haynes King. Uh, I think that's going to Okay, be but like I see this a lot. Haynes was good. I've watched a lot of his high school stuff. Like Haynes is going to be fine. But like Jimbo Fisher, why are people still doubting Jimbo Fisher, quarterback developer? Like, I'm not worried about... Kellen Mond never really got much Kellen Mond was fine. He also wasn't a Jimbo guy. Kellen Mond was an inherited person. Like, he did not... But they had three years together. They did. Jameis. You know. You can go up and down the list. Is Kyle Trask a McElwain guy or a Mullen guy? Ooh. Definitely not a Mullen guy. Emory Jones is a Mullen guy. This is the first Mullen guy. Okay, so you don't give give Mullen credit for, for Trask. I mean, I give him credit, but I don't think like that's in his I don't lab. Necessarily, I'm just curious. Yeah, I think it's his lab, like the laboratory of like what what a Dan Mullen quarterback looks like. It's Emory Jones. 
it's right. not Kyle Trask. It was more of like by necessity because Felipe Franks was bad and they needed to get somebody who could go downfield and do the, at least some of what Dan Mullen wants to do. So like that's what's scary about Mullen is like Trask was just doing the, like the <laughs> the simple version of what Mullen actually wants. Well, Emery, if he can do at least somewhat of the Trask stuff, and Trask did not have the arm and the duck stuff, and his ball sailed a, uh, sailed a lot. But good with decision making and accuracy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, what do you think Florida is going to do this year? Like, I mean, I have Florida and Anim in the SEC title game this year. You do? Yes. Wow. Okay. So you're interesting. All right. Like. Uh, I don't think Emory Jones make it, makes it through the season as the starter. Oh, no. Emory's going to be a star. Like, I I, I, I strongly disagree. I think Emory's going to be a star. Have you read the practice reports on Emory Jones? I'm not concerned. All right. I mean, they're just saying he's struggling to hit routine throws. I mean, he throws a beautiful deep ball. I think everyone agrees on mm-hmm. that. Um, I just think that people really, really discount how good Trask was at ball placement. Mm-hmm. Uh, Putting the he ball. was really good at finding Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony and all these stars who could do he stuff was. after the catch. Yes, but I mean, like even even when he wasn't finding those guys, like I mean, in that Georgia game last year, he made some throws, you know, kind of to the back pylon or the front pylon, mm-hmm. where the coverage was was pretty good, and he just put it higher than the defensive back could go, and where only his guy could get it, and. Well, let me be clear. I'm giving him credit. Like, I think Mullen deserves a lot of credit for Trask. It's just that, like, that was a necessity thing. I don't think Mullen wanted to have to go with Trask. I don't think that was ever something he wanted. No, he didn't. And I think that is something that uh, you could maybe fairly critique him for. Because mm. I, think that, I think that he probably should have started Trask sooner and that Felipe breaking his leg kind of forced his hand there. But uh, I mean, I get it. The five star versus the, I mean, the he kid said did... Dak for a long time, man. Yeah, you know, I mean, Dak didn't play till his fourth year on campus. Really, that's um, a good reason for Emory. It is, but you just also... really don't want Emory Jones in Florida to be good. This is what's happening no, here. The Georgia fan that. out of you. It's really not that. It's look really, at partisan really the partisan man over here. He can't do you know, it. It's an fan though. You just don't want Georgia to be good. Right? I don't. What do you mean? I know Georgia's going to be good. Like there's no way around well, it. I know Georgia's going to be good. If you're picking Florida to win the East, then you're definitely going against the grain. I'm so, saying Georgia's going ten and two, and then Florida is so going to win. You think they lose to Clemson and Florida? That's your. I do. Okay. All right. I mean, that's that's not outside the realm of possibility at all yeah. i mean i have clemson winning the national title like just to get it all okay. out there i think clemson's okay. gonna win the national title this so year. what you have florida beating bama no i don't have florida i'm oh yeah i do at home yes they get them early and you have them beating lsu too i assume yes they're not losing lsu back-to-back years so mullen's not losing to orgeron back-to-back years say it again what's florida's record in the regular season in your mind 11 and 1 so who's the loss to they drop a dumb one. It's not Kentucky on the road, which I do think mm-hmm. being in October mm-hmm. will Maybe be. Maybe late November to Missouri. <sighs> That's a possibility. Um, I guess it, it will be one of, of Bama, LSU, Mizzou. But not Georgia. No. <laughs> no. Okay. And I cannot wait. I'm just going to be the most annoying friend in my text thread with all of my friends back back in Georgia. No, about... if you, I mean, hey man, if you've been calling your shot for that long and you're right, 
talk your well talk last your year was like the best example of this where i was like i don't know why people think that george is a better football team than the florida gators i don't understand what people think is going to happen here when kyle pitts gets his next wheel route like i don't know what people are looking at here stetson bennett is awful like i don't know what we're doing here i don't know why yeah, no I, I mean i but you know stetson he's got a little bit of baker mayfield in him i don't know if you you remember that stetson he, he had some baker he was the mailman people liked it he was he was the mailman if you remember I mean, sometimes when mm-hmm. you only have one option, you mm-hmm. just got to hold on to it and try and talk yourself into things being good. Um, I guess. I just want to know. That, that was, I was nauseating. Nauseating. I was someone that's <laughs> there and, uh, you know, I, I did think it was hilarious after two starts that PFF had him uh, with the, a slightly higher passing grade than Kyle Trask. I just, I think Florida's good. I also, Dan Mullen just doesn't, like, if his personality was adjusted a little bit, I think that would help a lot, but it would. people don't want him to succeed. But I'm like, this dude, I don't think anyone understands how hard it is to get Mississippi State to be number one in the country at any point, anytime. Well, I think that you guys as a college football media or mm-hmm. us as a college football media, I should say, mm-hmm. have kind of over overrated that. And I think that people still frame Mississippi State as the the program that we saw in the nineties. And the reality is that Dan Mullen arrived at the at Mississippi state the same time that a massive influx of cash from the sec network and other things going on around the conference, you know, came and that really allowed Mississippi state to catch up in the facilities race and, in you know, the amount of money they spent on recruiting and just public relations in general. And so, I have a very I'm important not, question for you. There, but like, I think that people still talk about Mississippi State like it's like Vanderbilt or something like no. that or some bad school. And I mean, like Joe Moorhead went and won, you know, he was a horrible cultural fit, but he went and won a, a good number of games there. I mean, like, he was 500. He was not winning 10 games, 9 games. At he only State. had a season, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean, like, I think that Leach will, will win yeah. 9 10 games there at some point. Correct, but Leach so, can do that anywhere. That's just Leach magic, and then he's back down to five and seven, four and eight, yeah, and then I mean, randomly back a, to ten and three. Yes, it fluctuates all over the place. But, uh, but can I give my spiel on Mullen real quick before? Well, we hold on. Up? Let me just. Th- this has to do with Mullen, and then your spiel. Okay. How many years since he has been at Florida have they not won at least ten games? Zero. No, last year they went eight and four oh, last right. year. Eight and four. I'm sorry. Yeah. And right. they win the SEC East. The year before, eleven and two. The year before that, ten and three. He has won ten, at least ten regular season games every full season. He's been at Florida, and then the season that he did not, he still went to the SEC title game. Okay, so betting against up, Mullen is silly to me. Well, you bring up a really good point, though, right? Because like Mullen, Mullen had the best offense in Florida history last year. Yes, and he parlayed that into an eight and four season. Well, kind of. I don't count the lot, the bowl loss. Like, no one played against OU. Okay. You right. scratch that from the record. I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm all right with that. Like, Bama was I, close. They played Bama really well. If you go back and watch they, that they game. They very well, for sure. They but gave I, Bama maybe the most amount of trouble of anyone last year. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. But I think, like, in 13 years as a head coach, he's got one division title. He's got no mm-hmm. SEC title. Oh, don't do uh, the the full thirteen years because well, like that's okay. not like Mississippi State right. winning that. Okay, like, let's just talk about his yes. Uh huh. On average, 
he is recruiting the sixth best best class in the SEC. At That's school, his problem. Yes, where Ron Zook landed number one classes, mm-hmm. and you know I think his his unwillingness to part with Todd Grantham may. Cost I mean that him. might happen this year based on it some might stuff happen I've heard. this year, but is it going to cost? If Emory Jones is as good as you're saying that he is, it might cost him a college football playoff appearance this year. It might. You're not wrong. And so I think his record of developing quarterbacks is, is really like lauded, but that narrative would look a bit different if Tyler Russell and Felipe Franks never get injured. Mm -hmm. And Tyler Russell, that is the name right there, sir. Was starting over Dak Prescott going into Dak's third year at Mississippi state. And he got injured and that allowed Dak to come in and assert himself. But it's like, well, if this guy's so good with quarterbacks, then how is this guy not starting all along, right? I think he, he has a loyalty to the the guy that has been in the room the longest, which is kind of old school SEC, right, of like, all right, he's a senior, so he's starting, and that's just how it's going to be. And I think that that's, that's probably cost him some games in his career. Um, but it's just like we've seen him do a lot of really good stuff with McIlwain's players. And, you know, McIlwain brought Tony into the program. Pitts was committed when Mullen took the job. Trask was there. A lot of these pieces were there. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to be interesting to see because, like, as a Georgia fan, when I'm talking to Florida fans online, the narrative is always Kirby gets talent and he can't develop it. And Mullen can take, you know, any three-star or two-star or low-rated guy and develop him into, you know, a stud. And I think there's probably elements of truth in both of those, but they're not nearly as black and white as a lot of people make them out to be. And I'm really – I think I think this year for Mullen is super, super fascinating, man. Um, I think Florida in 2021 is probably the most fascinating team in the SEC – if not all of college football. And it's just because now he's got all of his own guys. He's had Emory in the program for all these years. And so we're going to find out, you know, what, what his development looks like. And if he really is everything that, you know, he should be, if Mullen is the quarterback developer that, that most people say he is. And we're also just going to see, you know, these receivers and some of these guys that he's brought in on defense, just, just where are they is, is really interesting to find out like, or can he recruit at number six in the league and, and win conference titles and win division titles? Cause if he can, it makes him an anomaly in modern college football history, which I think is very interesting. Outliers always fascinate me. So my personal opinion is that you're going to see them go eight and four again. Um, I I mean, I think they lose to Bama. I think they lose to LSU. I think they lose to Georgia, and I think they drop one of Kentucky and Missouri. Well, that's Um, three. Who's the fourth? No, Bama, LSU, Georgia lost. Okay, you're you're saying they lose all three? Yeah, Mullen drops all three. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they got to go to Baton Rouge. That's Mm -hmm. tough. They're not losing to Orgeron back-to-back years. That's not happening. Dan Mullen's not losing to Orgeron he back-to-back just years. He did lose to Orgeron back-to-back years. He what? He lost to him in 2019 and 2020. He has already lost to, to Oh, has he? did he lose in 2019? 
Yeah. Oh, I, that's right. They did play them in the the Burrow season. I guess so. And it was a good game. It was a good game. But then yeah. he threw Emory Jones into the game for no well, reason. Well, he also beat LSU last year. If the foot stuff doesn't happen, if the shoe stuff does did not he, happen, though? did he though? That the shoe was, stuff. That game was tied when that happened. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So, I don't think it goes that way if the shoe stuff doesn't happen. Fair to say though. Mm-hmm. Who's to say? What Who's I'm thinking to... though is he's making seven point six million a year, right? Mm-hmm. So, Florida gave national title money. To Mullen. Still like a possibility. He, he's making more than some national title coaches. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he is a top three offensive mind in college football. I don't think he's a top 50 program manager in college football. Oh. You look at the fight that he started. You look at the PR stuff around yeah. COVID, just the black eye that that yeah. caused for the university and having sure. his eight have to rein him in. Um, Culture wise, I mean, like, dude, how embarrassing is it to have a kid commit to UCF and say that, like, you know, Mullen and the O-line coach were spamming his phone, begging him to not go there last minute because they hadn't really put in the work on the front end. Like, Mm. that's... that's Well, that's his biggest problem. Like, if Mullen was, like, even two-thirds of what Kirby was as a recruiter, like, the East is just on lock for Florida with Mullen. It's on lock. Maybe. I think I think it would I think it would probably you would see like a the type of scenario that we saw in the 90s with like Tennessee and Florida. I think it would be a battle royale every mm-hmm. year. And, you know, I think they would probably trade trade wins most of the time. And a lot of it would depend on, you know, who had the more experienced or better quarterback that year. Um, I mean, you got to remember, dude, Georgia's got the the top talent composite ranking in the country right now i don't have to remember that i choose not to well that roster's good Mm -hmm. you can't uh there's a lot of have you seen Tion evans have you seen cedric tillman lining up out wide have you seen the mays brothers i don't know about (laughs) you i think uh i don't know i I like what's cooking in knoxville at the moment juan mitchell transferring in from texas i'm higher on tennessee than a lot of people are Okay. Okay. Well, I don't. I don't know how I feel about that. I think you guys go to a bowl game. I think you guys. If we're allowed six. to. Well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who cares, right? Uh, like, I think you guys should just go ahead and take your licking from the NCAA in case, on the off chance that like, Heupel is able to recruit well and that program is able to to hit an upward trajectory, you want to be done with all of that. Well, the problem is it's not going to happen anytime soon. Like the Arizona state stuff seems like that's kicked down the road for for years. That's why they're just betting on um, Uh Herm getting it done before that. Like every team is just looking at it as like the NCAA drags their feet. The Art Bryles stuff just got settled. That's kind of the punishment really. Yeah. I mean, you look at UNC and and Baylor and Miami with the Nevin Shapiro scandal. Um, there wasn't really any severe or memorable sanctions, but the punishment was having to wait four or five years to find out what the sanctions were because that mm-hmm. dark cloud really puts a damper on recruiting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what can we check out from you at Dog Sports and everything else ahead of uh, this weekend's primetime game against Clemson? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, I do a podcast and video show called Dog Sports Live, and uh, you can find that on the homepage at www.dogsports.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at dogsports underscore live. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at dogoutwest, and 
yeah, somewhere, somewhere in all of that social media and, and internet uh, webs, you will find plenty of written and spoken and video content from myself. All right. Well, go do that. Keep up the great work, man. Thank you so much for making the time. It was great to uh, talking some SEC. We, we branched out a little bit. We, it turned into a, just an SEC conversation yeah. as a whole. No, this was tons of fun. Thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Absolutely. And I get to experience a nice a nice night in Neyland with Bowling Green, one of the three worst football programs in the country. So it should be delightful. I think delightful. you guys are going to put up 56, and you should enjoy it because it won't happen again for a while. Okay, that's enough. Graham, thank you so much. <laughs> I will talk to you soon. Thanks, buddy. Have a good one. Thursday edition of the Chase Thomas podcast rolls along where I'm now joined by Jack Summers of AZ Snake Pit, a very good Arizona Diamondbacks blog that you should check out if you have not already. Um, Jack, what if you had to explain what happened to the Arizona Diamondbacks this year, how would you do it? Um, I would say that the easiest way to describe it is um, injuries decimated a club that didn't have the depth to deal with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so after a decent start to the season, um, through April 30th, they were 14 and 12 and, you know, just a half game back of the Padres in a wild card. And then they went on an incredible streak in um, May and June where they went five and 24 in May and three and 24 in June. I've never seen anything like that. Uh, you know, um, I've been following baseball for since I was a kid, mm-hmm. the early middle six and I've just never seen a streak like that. They they had um, four-fifths of their starting rotation on the injured list at the same time. Um, they're basically their entire starting infield has been hurt at one point or another. And their biggest star, Cattell Marte, has had two lengthy stints on the I.L. with hamstring issues. And the, the, the players that they had coming up through the minors just weren't quite ready. And they, you know, so all the pitchers that they had to use in place and all the position players they used in place just couldn't really help them get it done. And it all fell apart. And I mean, as, and as uh, spectacularly, they had a 17 game losing streak. Um, they had the, uh, uh, they set the record for consecutive road losses, modern day record at 24. Um, I mean, you know, 8 and 48, you can imagine what it was like rooting for a team going through a stretch like that over a full two-month period. So that's that's the uh, long and short of it. So what do we what do we think about Kettle Marte's future? Are you concerned, or Diamondbacks fans concerned, about where this is headed? Um, there's a lot of debate about where Cattell should be playing in the field. I mean, mm-hmm. he's a great hitter. There's, there's no doubt. And if you look at his numbers as of today, I mean, they're still great numbers. Um, you know, he happens to lead like all of major league and batting average since 2019 and batting average may be a passe stat in analytic circles, but it does speak to his great bat to ball skills. And since he beefed up, he hits the ball hard. I mean, his exit velocities are extremely high. Um, he ranks really well in those and the guy can hit. Um, the problem is, is that he's not a very good center fielder. And there's some debate about whether playing in center field contributes uh, or creates cascade injuries, wear and tear injuries. The, the hamstring injuries actually both times happened running the bases. But a lot of people think that, you know, spending their time on the uh, 
the turf in Arizona kind of contributes to some issues for him. But he missed the last couple of weeks of 2019 with a stress reaction in his lower back. Um, and he, in an interview, he started to say, yeah, you know, running around on the new surface that they have out there um, had contributed to it. But he walked that back really quickly. And a lot of people thought that was maybe like a politically correct move not to piss off the team. Um, and then last year they put him in second base because we had Starling Marte out there in center. And unfortunately, the team felt like they needed to cut payroll. So even though Starling was on a uh, very affordable contract, they moved him at the trade deadline last year. And they're better outfield prospects and guys that can play center field. You know, their timeline is really 2022, 2023. Um, and so Starling was a great bridge to that, and it allowed Cattell to play second base, whereas, which is where he belongs. Um, but when they traded Starling um, in uh, last year's trade deadline, that forced Cattell back out to center field. And, uh, you know, the, the defensive metrics all pretty much agree with the eyeball test, which is he's not been very good out there. So hopefully, um, you know, they've got options on him. They control him still for the next several years. And if they decide to hold on to him and not trade him, um, they'll figure out center field and move him back to second base where he belongs. Um, he can be a league average defensive second baseman and essentially the best hitting second baseman in baseball or one of. Um, so, you know, that, if you look at his numbers, he's hitting he's hitting great. It's just a matter of where they play him defensively. Hmm. What um what numbers did you like or have you have you liked seeing thus far for Arizona? Could be a player, team numbers as a whole, and what really concerned you? What have you what have you found looking through stuff that you're like, uh, this is this is troubling for the future? Well, I I think that um, if we want to take the glass half full approach, mm. um, which you know, we sure try to do as much as we can. Like I said, it's been a tough year to follow this team. Uh, but they have uh, a number of young players that are looking like they're at least capable of um, being decent role players, uh, league average hitters, maybe a little above when they completely hit their stride, um, that have come on. They, they weren't ready earlier in the year when they first came up, such as Dalton Varsho um, and Josh Van Meter. Uh, Josh Rojas, Paven Smith, um, they're all kind of hovering around league average, give or take, um, you know, OPS plus between like 90 and 110. Um, and uh, they've been moved, they've all been moved around a lot and playing multiple defensive positions. So, you know, the only one of those four guys that I personally think has star or all-star season potential in them is Dalton Varsho because he's, he really is a great hitter and he's very fast. Um, and he's got good power and good batting eye, but he's not a good defensive catcher and he really needs to be playing outfield, probably left field or center field full time. Um, Josh Rojas is a guy that he's subpar defensively, but he's turned into a pretty good hitter. Um, he's got a near 800 OPS. He's 114 OPS plus, um, double digits and homers, nearly 30 doubles. You know, the guy... He's been doing good at, uh, at the top of the order. Um, Paven Smith has good contact skills. He's batting 270, you know, which and he's among the leaders, among rookies in at-bats, plate appearances, and base hits. But the power hasn't quite shown up yet. Um, he's only got 10 homers. 
So, you know, he's going to need to, if he's going to play a corner position, whether it's first base or corner outfield, you know, you want to see that, that homer totals start to get up there. And he's hitting the ball on the ground a little bit too much for that to happen right now. Um, Josh Van Meter, his batting average is really low at 215, but, um, you know, he's showing better plate discipline and a lot more power since his uh, second call-up. And uh, so he's pushed his OPS plus up to 90. May not sound like much, but, um, you know, if you look at he was in the 50s and 60s. So, you know, he's, he's really done well since he's come back. So those four guys have represented a wave of young players that have done fairly well in trying circumstances, being asked to play two, three, four positions um, and fill in for injured veterans. Um, and, you know, so hopefully they can continue their development. They're all in their, you know, middle 20s and just entering their primes. If they can get a little bit better over the next couple of years, they could be nice pieces to have if they hit on any of the other guys in the wave coming behind them. Interesting. Um, so th- that's where we are, you know, on the position player side. Um, on the pitching side, you know, the the team has used 16 different starting pitchers this year. Oh. Yeah. I think that's I half mean, the that's- amount of relievers that uh, the Rays have used this year. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, like I said, you know, they, Madison Bumgarner went to the I.L. with an injured shoulder, and certainly he's, you know, not performed up to the level of what they were hoping when they signed him to that contract. You know, they gave him eighty-five million dollar deal, and uh, or you know, averaging like seventeen million a year, and it was it was backloaded. You know, and his ERA right now is four three seven, and he's you know he had an injured shoulder. He's been up and down. Zach Gallen, who who you know was uh, great for us last year, most of the year, and and uh, the part of two thousand nineteen when he first came over from the Marlins. Uh, he was traded for Jazz Chisholm. Uh, he he's had a rough year. He broke his elbow in spring training. He fractured his elbow uh, uh, trying to take a swing in batting practice, and so that set him back. And then later he had an unrelated elbow is- issue that put him on the IL. And so he's only made 18 starts and uh, 91 innings, and his ERA is also over four. You know, whereas last year, for at least part of the year, he was, you know, considered a Cy Young contender. So that's been a big disappointment. And then Luke Weaver, um, who came over in the Paul Goldschmidt trade, um, he made eight starts and then went on the IL with a shoulder issue and just came back last night. Had somewhat of a triumphant return. It was really nice to see. Went six innings, only gave up one run. Um, it, was, it was a really good start. He was pretty dominant, actually. Um you know, so guys like that, I mean, that they're really depending on to solidify the rotation just uh, fell down badly with injuries and, and underperformance, you know, and uh, the the fellows that got to fill in just were pretty bad. Hmm. Mean, you know, they gave, they gave starts to uh, guys like, uh, you know, Matt Peacock and um, Jake Faria, uh, you know, uh, Humberto Castellanos, Humberto Mejia, none of the, if you look up their numbers, I mean, you know, none of them done really well. The one guy that had a nice opening start, I don't know if you heard about it from a couple of weeks ago, but uh, Tyler Gilbert oh, yeah. came up. You know, he's a 27-year-old 20, rookie. And Something happened with him, league. correct? Pardon? Something happened with him, correct? Well, he, he did some sort of feat with his father in attendance, I want to say. He, he pitched a no-hitter. 
Oh, I was joking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was pretty cool. You know, it was fun. I mean, it was it was funny. I mean, there were like you know ten balls that were hit ninety over ninety five hundred miles an hour. Uh, so some as with no, most no hitters, there's some good fortune. But the fact is, is with his father in attendance, his major league first major league start, he pitched a couple of times in relief. It wasn't his debut, but it was his first start, and he threw a no hitter against Padres. So that's pretty cool. Um, he's made three starts since, you know, and just kind of meh. Okay, but uh, you know, he's not bad. He's not a bad pitcher. He's he's a nice surprise. Um, so you know, but the bullpen has been just uh, unmitigated disaster. It's the worst bullpen in the major leagues. Um, they signed, you know, worse than the Phillies. Signed, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Yikes. Depending on the metrics that you use. They're, mm. they're, they're neck and neck with the Phillies for worst bullpen in the majors. Depends, you, you know, if you're using advanced metrics or traditional metrics, it's all six of one, half a dozen the other. But, um, you know, they signed Tyler Clifford and uh, Joaquin Soria as their veteran, you know, stabilizers in the back end of the bullpen. And they both got hurt right away. Uh, Clippard missed half the season with a shoulder injury after, you know, 15 healthy years. And Soria, like a week into the season, or after one or two starts, suffered a calf injury and missed like almost two months. And then when he came back, he was, you know, not very consistent. He ended up getting traded to Toronto at the trade deadline. Clippard's actually closing for the team right now. Um, and then other fellows that they had that they thought were kind of young power arms like Kevin Ginkle and uh, Joan Lopez, they flamed out and were terrible. And the fellows that have come in and, and taken their place, I mean, again, it's, it's it's almost like not suitable for work to quote their ERAs. <laughs> it's, it's pretty nasty. Um, so, you know, if you look at the, the league tables on uh, bullpen, you'll see the, the Diamondbacks right at the bottom. Or, you know, if they're not 29th or 30th in almost every key metric. And the, the amount of blown leads, they, they actually lead the majors in runs given up in both the seventh and eighth innings and combined. And it's and it's by a lot. I mean, it's it's the seventh and eighth inning runs allowed are just off the charts. I mean, it's like well over 200 uh, versus like, you know, less than 100 or around 150 runs scored in those innings. You know, just in the seventh and eighth innings alone, their negative run differential is over 50. Mm. So, um, you know, and then on top of that... Um, a lot of positives you know, in Zona this season. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of positives yeah, in the desert. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm a little shell-shocked. But mm. then on top of that, the uh, in the farm system, you know, uh, our two best outfield prospects, um, Christian Robinson and Corbin Carroll, uh, Christian Robinson, unfortunately, um, he had some uh, psychological issues. Uh, I guess he got into an altercation with a police officer on the side of the road, um, on the side of the highway. He was kind of, you know, freaking out a, a bit about um, COVID issues and suffering some paranoid delusions. And when they tried to help him or they wanted to put him in the car and like get him off the side of the road, he took a swing at a cop. And uh, so he he's uh, stuck out of the country right now. and He's kind of in a limbo because um, he he was uh, convicted, you know, with the uh, felony assault and he's from the Bahamas. Right. And it, he was out of the country. So now we can't get back in. And he's got a probationary sentence. 
but he can't come back in to fulfill the terms of his probation because he can't get a visa. Mm. So his whole, you know, and he was like our number one power hitting outfield prospect. And so his career is in jeopardy. And then Corbin Carroll, who was our uh, first round draft pick a couple of drafts ago, um, you know, got off to a super hot start, like first week of the season and then injured his shoulder on a swing and had to have shoulder surgery and missed the year. And then our number one draft pick from this most recent draft, Jordan Lawler, shortstop, um, like four games into his professional career, injured his shoulder and tore his labrum diving for a ball, and he's got to have surgery. So basically our top three prospects are all on the shelf, two with soldier injuries and one with a, um, a, you know, a, a legal issue. So that's putting a dent like we have a good farm system and it's developing a lot of our pitchers are starting to uh, a lot of the pitching depth has uh, really been pitching better over the second half of the season we have a, a good young outfielder named Alec Thomas who's moved up to AAA he's only 21 years old and he's hitting really well so you know it's not that it's, it's hopeless but even where you should be you know the strongest after suffering for the last few years and getting high draft picks uh, unfortunately you know they're getting running into a bad of bad luck and then finally, the worst bad luck of all is our general manager, Mike Hazen. He's had to take a leave of absence because his uh, wife is uh, suffering from geoblastoma. She's got a uh, brain cancer. Oh, no. So he's, been stay- yeah, so he's been staying at home and working from home and working over the phone. And, you know, um, the assistant GM, Amiel Saude, has had to uh, pretty much take over the reins, you know, of the day-to-day. Although there, I guess Mike is still, you know, consulting and, and discussing all key issues with them. So you know, it's a team and and an organization that's really struggled badly this year and in quite a lot of disarray. And then on top of that, the you know the finances don't look promising either. The the bottom has dropped out of the attendance, and you know the the rumors are pretty strong that there's going to be further payroll cuts. So top to bottom it's been about as bad a year as this organization's ever had um they set their loss record back in 2004 with 111 they're on pace for 108 losses right now um but they do have an improving farm system and there's some hope for 2022 and beyond that some of these young players will start to turn things around for the organization but it's going to take time we're going to have to be patient i mean it's very it's all it's impossible to see this team competing for a playoff spot before 2023 or four. Oh, man. Can't. Uh, so Jack. That's kind of yeah. I, this hasn't been exactly an upbeat, upbeat uh, podcast for you, but there hasn't been a whole lot upbeat to go on, go on with the Arizona Diamondbacks this year. That's kind of the bottom line. Hey, it's real. It's what's happening. That's what I wanted to talk Diamondbacks with you, Jack, because I I would like the the full scope. And sometimes things are just bad, and you have to address the things are just bad right now, and they're not going to get any better anytime soon. It's the unfortunate reality um, for the Diamondbacks for the foreseeable future. Um, what can people check out from you across azsnakepick.com What or just uh, as a whole? Well, you know, the website we have a bunch of great writers, and they're really active. I mean, we have um, a lot of content going up every day. There's always, you know, besides like game previews and game threads um, and uh, our news clip, uh, news dump article every day, which is called Snake Pit, uh, Snake Bites. I read it every day. Uh, 
yeah, besides the snake bites and besides our previews and, you know, I do the, I help with the previews. I help Jim McLennan, our site editor with the previews because I sit on the Zoom conferences as much as I can uh, pregame and we get like, you know, input direct from the manager and we put in an audio file so people can listen to those interviews. Um, sometimes we have post game on, on our uh, game recaps. We have post game audio in there as well. Um, so that's a good uh, thing to have in there. Um, we have feature articles from numerous different writers, and uh, some are more on an analytic bent. Some are in a humorous bent. Uh, every Monday we have uh, uh, Monday memes, you know, and people are encouraged to throw in their funniest memes. We have um, Pit Your Wits on Saturday, which is kind of like a, a contest to come up with funny ideas and answers to specific questions. Um, so, you know, it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, it, there's a there's a lot of different writers that are putting up really a lot of great work. And, uh, you know, if you, have, if you want to know anything about Diamondbacks, that's definitely the place to go. So I'll, I'll unabashedly say it's the best Diamondbacks website on the Internet. I would agree. I would agree. Jack, thank you so much for making the time today. Uh, please stay safe out there. And uh, we'll have to reconvene uh, very soon. All right. Thanks, Chase. I appreciate it. Um, the call and uh, have good luck with your podcast and all your other endeavors. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.